You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw to a looking. Flips it downfield wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Doing knew where he was going right away. How the hell is that, little man? I'm fired up for this one. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. It is week number two, a Friday variety hour here on the Drive Time Podcast. We're going to hear from Kyle Krabs in the Finns draft in five here later on. Also stop by the locker room and talk to some of the guys. But first, and what I'm most excited about, Jeff Darlington joins us on the podcast today. You do not want to miss this interview from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Let's right away get to my interview today with ESPN's Jeff Darlington. Please join me in welcoming back to the show from ESPN, the great Jeff Darlington. Jeff, when I turned on NFL Countdown on Sunday and they cut to the quad box with all the reporters on site, I was shocked to see you at Heinz Field and not out here at SoFi for the Dolphins game. That's right. I was in Pittsburgh. Uh, oddly, I don't cover every Dolphins game. And we actually just have uh, uh, inside baseball stuff. But Lindsay yeah. Theory, a wonderful reporter who lives in Los Angeles, she uh, is now going to be more full-time with Countdown. And uh, she was out there. She lives there. And she is perfectly adequate to handle that task. But I will see you very soon, Travis. I'm sure we'll do uh, a lot of Dolphins games this season. I was going to say, yeah, you kind of have a front row seat to one of the most exciting teams, at least for the first week of the season. And I have to imagine that continues here going forward. But uh, yeah, I always love having you around here. Maybe the, the Broncos home game, maybe. I don't know. We, we I would think there'd you. be a lot. I think there'll be, I mean, I might be stationed there now that, now that uh, you know, I don't want to go too far here, but the AFC East is looking quite different than it did not too long ago. It's crazy how that happens. And it, like you said, one weekend, the entire paradigm seems to have shift so far, at least through one week. And I'm sure it'll shift again next week That's and the right. week after that. That's how this league goes. That's why we love it so much. But I want to get you on here, Jeff, today. We talk about, uh, you know, speaking of the Sunday countdown, your piece on Coach McDaniel. And I'll never forget, we had you on the Twitter Spaces show, one of our first ones last year with Seth and OJ. And you were adamant that the addition of Coach McDaniel would be one that would maybe not just parallel the Tyreek acquisition, but even supersede it in terms of its importance. And we saw a great game plan play out here. So I, I want to revisit that question with you about McDaniel's impact. Let's go ahead and start there and just kind of give us a yeah. week one, year two rebuffer on that comment and just what you saw in this first game with McDaniel and the Dolphins getting the win in Los Angeles. Well, you know, I would say that two things I knew about Mike already was um, his brilliance as an offensive mind, which obviously was no mystery really once anybody did a deep dive to understand his impact on the 49ers. The second element uh, that I believed he'd be successful at is managing a locker room in terms of the personalities that are in there. He is such a, um, a likable person, but also a very open-minded person, someone that really, if you get him in a room, the initial impression is a bit quirky. And beyond that, you start to realize the loyalty, um, the understanding uh, of people. And I thought that those two things would be 
why he'd largely be successful. What I've been especially impressed by, um, by him and his coaching staff is how well run the organization has been since he arrived. I think one of the very understated components to a coaching staff or any, any NFL organization is how difficult it is to have a well-oiled machine, whether it's organized practices, whether it's um, clear messaging, whether it's the meetings themselves. And uh, I, I think that I've been very impressed, not surprised, but there was an unknown there about how Mike would handle that component of being a head coach. And so far to me, he and his coaching staff have knocked it out of the park. Oh, I recall the uh, the social you know ideas about whether or not he had the look for an NFL head coach. And I always found that to be so funny because who gives mm-hmm. a damn what you look like if you can do the job at a high level. And uh, you know, back to your piece on Countdown, I can't imagine there's a person listening to this podcast right now who has not seen it. But if you have not, go check it out. It's on Jeff's timeline. It's on ESPN and SportsCenter's timeline, all that good stuff. Um, but I was hoping to get some some behind the scenes from you. First of all, have you done a piece like that before? Pretty unique to be able to join up with a head coach at two o'clock in the morning and drive to work with him. No, uh, I've not. Uh, you know, I've I've gotten really good access with players in the past, and and um, I'm proud of the the access that I've I've gotten with players. But a, co- a head coach is a different, a little bit of a different situation, and. Um, a world that that really I, I nor many people have really entered into, and I'm really thankful to first of all Mike and the Dolphins organization and and Nolan and PR for really um, not only buying into the idea but really um, uh, kind of catapulting it. And I think that one of the elements here that was so special about it with Mike is that um, not just his willingness to to provide the access, but to be vulnerable um, in topics that are, you know, both wide ranging and intimate. And I think his story, you know, one of the things that Mike is so passionate about is to make sure that if there's any spotlight on him, that it is for the greater good of the organization. Uh, He's so adamant about that. And, you know, I think that was probably a concern for him. Like, is this, I don't, he's not comfortable with the idea of it just being about him. Can it be better for the team? And to a degree, superficially, I'm sure people might look at it and say that it is just a story of, of Mike and his past. But I would argue that, um, you know, whether by design or not, and I don't think it was, I think it's very helpful for the team and the organization to understand who he is and where he comes from. And he can stand up in front of a room and say it, and there can be you can read you know past articles, but to to feel it, um, and and that was I think my goal going into it was to show that Mike is not just a quirky, funny dude. He is, but that he is also um, he he has a past. He has scars, uh, and so too do so many people in that locker room. So again, not that is by design, but if that can galvanize a room and, and players can potentially learn something about their head coach that helps that locker room, then, you know, I think that that's a positive as well. Yeah. To your point. I mean, most of these players, I mean, to, to be able to achieve, excuse me, Jeff, to be able to achieve this, you know, 
to get to this level of, of this profession, you probably had to go through some trials and tribulations. So to be able to share his story, I'm sure really connects with a lot of guys who've gone through their own, you know, issues in the past and overcome those, you know, adversity is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. He always loves to say, so how perfect is that, that he can kind of use his own life experience to really drill that point home. You mentioned you wanted to prove and show the, the non quirky side of coach, but I have to ask you because <laughs> in that piece, you're doing it for a specific reason, but I, you spent so much time with him. I know that coach threw some jokes at you. You guys probably yeah. had some fun levity moments. Can you give us some behind the scenes, look at the content that got left on the cutting room floor because it did not fit the piece? There is always with Mike, I mean, and always has been and always will be um, no matter the setting, whether it's with a camera there or not. Like, I mean, that literally is who he is. And it can fly over people's heads very quickly. I remember saying that the second he got hired, like, hey, guys, buckle up. There's going to be a <laughs> lot of things that he says, and you're going to walk out of the room. You're not going to have laughed at it. And you're going to 20 seconds, a minute, five minutes, literally, as you're going to sleep, you're going to be like, oh, that's what he, he was joking. That's you said funny. that to me on my podcast with him. You were like, Travis hasn't gotten to know him quite enough yet. But that podcast. Is it not true? <laughs> Do you not now understand it? Yes. It is. I mean, it is nuanced. Sometimes he is literally practicing bits on you because he loves <laughs> comedy that much. And I, I, you know, we, there was plenty of those moments. Um, I, I'm try- I can't really necessarily think of specific ones, but it was funny when we got in the car and he just, he, the second we got to his house, we left our house, my house here with my crew at like 2 AM, make sure you're prepared that you're there early. You know, you, you'd never want him to be waiting. I mean, we pulled up and uh, like the second we pulled up, the garage door goes up and I mean, it's gotta be <laughs> 220. I mean, it's not like he hits the alarm clock and you know, struggles to get out of bed. Like he walks out and he's like ready to go. And um, even in the car, right. When we get in there, he's like, yeah, I'll apologize. Like I, I, and he's, he's talking, not, you know, he's obviously overcome his struggles that we've talked about. And it's not like he doesn't know how to sleep in and all those things, but he goes, when I wake up, I'm immediately going a mile a minute. And to like my friends in college, to anybody that I've ever known, he's like, I realized how wildly annoying that is. You know, for most people, they need a minute with Mike. He does not. He is full go pedal to the metal. Um, You know, you talk about cutting room floor. One of the things that I actually thought could carry the piece. This wasn't even funny, but it's um, it's a good opportunity to share it. When we left his house, I I, there there was at one point where I thought this was going to be the framework of the piece. It just didn't end up being that. We just went a little bit different way with the structure. When we left his house. Um, we went east instead of west toward the stadium. And I, I, this is a good opportunity to share the story because a lot of people from South Florida understand this. We go east toward, because he lives near the water, and we go over one bridge, and then we go come back over another bridge, very roundabout way. And I, at one point I go, and I'm from here, so I understand it. And I go, why did you just go that way? You realize that is not, he's like, oh yeah, the GPS definitely does not like that. But he told me he never saw the ocean until he was, I believe he said in high school or in college, being from Colorado. And now he lives so close to it that he cannot help but every day to start his drive, go over a bridge and see water. And he's like, it's the first five minutes of my drive are about perspective and about appreciating the moment. And I was like, really taken back by that. Like, I mean, how cool is that? Like, that this guy, Yes, he is waking up so early to get to work because he has a level of urgency about him, but he's also still willing at this point to take that five minutes out of his day and kind of 
reflect on it. And I thought um, how fitting and sort of from a storytelling standpoint, again, it didn't really necessarily go this way. It was a little too complicated to say, mm-hmm. but like the road re- less traveled. I mean, it is his path the entire way, literally, very literally uh, from the second he gets in the car in the morning. Art imitates life, right? I mean, stop and smell yeah. the roses a little bit. It kind of reminds me of what Coach Daryl Bevel has, you know, drilled into Tua about be where your feet are, because Mike has made that same comment several times about just kind of being present in the moment and how he owes that to the players and the organization and the coaching staff to be present and not think about, wow, my first yeah. NFL game. Wow, this big moment that's, you know, I could think and make it about me, but I don't do that. And it, it brings me to my next question here, Jeff, about the quarterback and with with Mike McDaniel, the relationship between he and Tua. What a performance on Sunday. Surprised, expected that. What do you think about Tua's first game here in 2023? Um, certainly not surprised. I think I think anybody who continues to be surprised by Tua's ability uh is is fooling themselves. I mean, he's shown it. And and that's not just about Tua. That, that this happens too often in the NFL in general. I feel Similarly to a guy like uh, a, a good example would be a, a guy in Jared Goff. I talked to him about, about this ever since that game, when he had against Patrick Mahomes, when it was 54 to 51, it was the most unbelievable regular season game I've ever seen in my life. And then a, a couple of years later, people say, Oh, he sucks. Jared Goff, you know, he's not good enough. I refuse to accept or believe that a player, a, a, a human being can go do something as as athletically special and gifted as that and then just not have it. That is not lightning in a bottle. And the parallel here is with Tua. Last year, we saw it. I mean, it was there in front of our eyes. Yes, the injuries, I get the concern. And honestly, legitimate concern, which Tua has done his best to try to alleviate those concerns literally in his preparation. But the idea that he couldn't go out there and do what he just did, um, to me, it's ridiculous. Of course he can do it. He's shown us that. The beauty of it is, um, going back to Mike and and the offense, and I don't want to take any credit away from Tua here. He's the one who did it. But I just love the empowerment and the confidence that has been bestowed on him, whether it's from Tyreek, whether it's from his teammates. We are seeing that. And I think that that goes a very long way in his ability to attack and be the guy that he is capable of being. Yeah, I think that the confidence that Tua displayed in that game, because there was a couple of throws early on into some coverage where it's like, man, I don't know, that probably shouldn't have been tested in that window, but the confidence to keep going back to it with the ball placement he shows. Yeah. The game winner to Tyreek, for instance, there's he's not open. He's not open at that all. Was, that was unbelievable. And and at first you're, you're thinking when you see that, that's Tyreek. Yeah. And again, it takes a special wide receiver. The second you see the replay, you're like, wait a second, that ball disappeared through the defender. Like it literally looks like it went through the body of the defender and somehow ended up in Tyreek's hands. It was unbelievable. And that was um, absurd. Uh, I mean, and that's not, I, I saw someone saying this the other day, it's not necessarily a timing thing. I mean, or it is more of a timing thing. It's not a touch pass yeah, because he doesn't know that the defender's going to be there, but it is a timing thing where he put it so perfectly where there was only one person at one point who was going to be able to catch that pass. That is where Tua is absolutely elite. And that, by the way, is what Mike has always seen in him from the second he got here. Um, He didn't see all the flaws that previous people have seen. He saw the positives, namely his ability to have elite ball placement. 
the the one that made him run around the building and tell everyone, look at the 700 play uh, reel that I put together of this quarterback and the way he can kind of mitigate pressure and the idea of surrounding him with weapons and not, you know, I mean, not that they didn't invest in the offensive line. Teron Armstead and Connor Williams were both massive gets for this team. Now Mm -hmm. getting Austin Jackson back and Kendall Lamb looks pretty good. Isaiah Wynn looked pretty good, but they knew that they had a skill set in this quarterback where he could really maximize playmakers on the perimeter more than, you know, going out and building a, you know, the five first round draft pick type of offensive line. I want to take a break right here and come back on the other side and talk more about Tua and Mike's relationship, what we can expect the rest of the way for the Miami Dolphins here the next 16 games of the season. That's next. My guest today, Jeff Darlington on the Drive Time Podcast, brought to you by AutoNation. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Back here with ESPN's Jeff Darlington, who had a great piece on Sunday NFL Countdown detailing Mike McDaniel and the kind of history that he had to overcome to get to this position where he's now leading the Miami Dolphins out of the gates to a 1-0 start here in his second season. We talked a little bit about Tua on the other side there, Jeff, and I just want to go back to the relationship between those two guys because you have this, you know, like you said, the access to coach to kind of get to know him and just know a little bit more about him than we get to see outside of the quirky jokes and the, the way he leads this football team. How would you describe that relationship? And and is it unique for a quarterback and coach to be so tight and to be so intertwined like that? I, I know that there are obviously, you know, coaches and, and quarterbacks around the league that do have good relationships, but this one yeah. seems a little bit unique to me. I, you know, um, is it unique for, I, I think the, the most successful partnerships are often the ones that are um, where the quarterback is an extension of the locker room, but somewhere in between the coaching staff in the locker room. So from that perspective on paper, maybe not. Um, it is a very special relationship. I, I, and again, I'm not necessarily one to harp on the past, but in this case, I can't ignore it either. Brian Flores, as a head coach, was a different type of coach. Um, much more militant, much more, um, you know, coming from the Bill Belichick model. And his expectations, maybe in certain regards, were different. And uh, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily bad. Personally, I think you have to adjust to your players. Um, but but I'll, I'll give him that. You can win like that. Bill Belichick proved it with Tom Brady, the way that he he handled Brady. In this situation, it was clear that Tua's confidence was shattered. It was obvious. I mean, it was obvious to, it should have been obvious to outsiders, but internally, I can tell you, it was obvious. So for Mike to come in with his optimistic, um, and it is authentic and genuine. And I don't think that is by coincidence at all. Um, Steve Ross, Chris Greer, Tom Garfinkel, I think recognized that that quality in Mike immediately recognized um, their quarterback and and where his mental state was. And I'm not saying that you make the hire just for the player, but it certainly has to be a factor. And I know that they felt that way um, coming out of that hire that that they they saw too and said we're going to do right by you um yes i mean we could look at ted lasso you know as a great <laughs> example of that dynamic you know it, it, i'm not saying 
it's not that, but it, it, there is there is power in optimism, and Mike sees that, and Tua needed that, and I think that that makes it very special. Um, one of the reasons why last year was so difficult to watch when it came to a lot of the criticism that Mike was facing for Tua's situation was, I mean, if you had any sense of Mike's care for Tua and for players in general, uh, you would know how ridiculous that take was um that that i thought was that was tough and i think it it will ultimately though time allows people to see who mike is and understand that his relationship with tua will absolutely uh, it won't change his ability necessarily to go out there and do everything on the field we, we there's a lot to be seen here but i think that everybody right now is in a really nice situation like you said, a lot to be seen because, you know, still 16 games to go. You mentioned off the top how much the landscape and just this one division seemed to shift mm-hmm. so drastically just with a couple of ball games that happened over the weekend. And so I'm just curious to get your, your take on where you see things going for this team going forward, because like you mentioned, you know, and, and Jeff, you've been here for press conferences. You've seen Tua speak to the media. It is night and day compared to a couple of years ago with mm-hmm. how he just addresses us, the confidence, the bravado he displays, and you see it on the field as well, I think. So Thinking about all that, you know, the offensive line performance was awesome. Tyreek Hill is Tyreek Hill. We'll see about the defense kind of getting their their sea legs under them here for the first game in the Vic Fangio defense. Where do you see things going from here for the Miami Dolphins in 2023? Yeah, I, I think the good news is that the offense is usually the thing to, to kind of take its time to come around. Right. Um, that's really speaks volumes to the offseason preparation for them to go in and be just firing. Uh, we saw from the Bills... For instance, I think the Bills will figure it out. I don't think we should take week one as a complete litmus test of of the entirety of the landscape. I was surprised the way Josh Allen played because all offseason we've expected to see a different Josh Allen um, in terms of not running so much, doing weird things with his legs and throwing those picks. Uh, I, I I tend to think that that, that will be corrected eventually. Um, the Jets, obviously, not that's not changing with Aaron Rodgers, uh, the Patriots look, I know they held up with the Eagles, but to me, I still think that they are still on the outside looking in of the potential playoff picture. That, I mean, that's just how I felt all off season. I'm not just using week one as the example. So it's all in front of them, but you know, it's, it's part of the game was we'll see what happens with injuries. You know, you got to stay healthy. You ha- I mean, you saw it with the, the jets yesterday. Everything can change in a second. The Dolphins fans know as well as anybody, but if you're looking for a good, healthy start, that's exactly what the Dolphins had. Especially in a league where offense was kind of hard to come by in this first week across the NFL, but Mike yeah. McDaniel's side and Kyle Shanahan's side seemed to have it figured out as well as anybody one wasn't, week. Wasn't, uh, wasn't, I obviously wasn't on the game. Armstead wasn't even active for this game, right? He, didn't, he did not play. He was rolled so, out on Friday. So yeah, it was Lamb So Armstead's Lamb. out, Jalen Ramsey's out, uh, and you still kind of are firing that way in week one. That's, Against, by the way, a very talented team that some people believe will challenge the Chiefs in that division. So Pick you can't ask Bowl. for much more than that. Pick for the Super Bowl from a lot of people as well. I mean, that's as talented as it comes. That defense has players up and down the roster there. Yeah. And Miami just went up and down the field on them. So very good, Jeff. Appreciate your time today, man. ESPN. Where are we going to see you this week? Are you going to be in Foxborough for the night game? I will not. We don't do a lot of those. I'll be in um, uh, Jacksonville for Jaguars Chiefs. That's see if Patrick one. Mahomes can get back on track. Yeah, a little playoff rematch. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff, Jeff. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Too. And then we'll get there for the Dolphins soon. Don't worry.
It's coming up. We got the, the home games are coming up. They kind of push it off for you. So you don't have to go in that hot suit and sweat in the, in the sweat. You know, I like it, there. man. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> Appreciate you, Jeff. And away he goes. I told you that was good, man. That was, I was excited to get a chance to get Jeff here on the podcast. Let's go ahead and take our last break and come back on the other side. We'll hear from the locker room and the great Kyle Krabs from Locked On Dolphins. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AutoNation. Couple more items here on a variety Friday of the Drive Time podcast. Let's go ahead and first hear from Tyree Kill. When I asked him if they want to bracket cover you, what's your mindset going into that matchup? I'm still gonna dominate that no matter what, man. You feel me? I mean, I still got a job to do, and that's to run my route. So, you put two guys on me, one guy on me, three guys on me. I'm still gonna, you know, run my route um, to get open. So. Also caught up with Emmanuel Ogba, who played just 17 snaps in his first game back from the triceps injury that cost him pretty much the entire 2022 season. But here's Emmanuel talking about his first game back, playing in front of you crazy Dolphins fans out in California, and the matchup this week in Foxborough. First, I was curious to just ask you kind of how it felt to get back out there after missing so much time last year. Oh, it felt really good being out there. Um, not wanting more action, but it felt good just... Just being out there with the guys, you know, actually playing for meaningful games. You know, it really felt good. Actually. How do you feel like that kind of helped you knock some rust off or just kind of get back in the flow of things? I'll say that's what preseason's for, yeah. you know. It just helped me, like, get back out there, get back moving, using that arm and then seeing what I can do. And I felt good. Felt good to, to kind of, like you said, to work the tricep back out again. Yeah, right? kind of like striking somebody, shedding off the blocks. But, yeah, it felt good. So. so you're facing a team this week. That, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you guys look at this, but their injury report on the offensive line, there's like four or five guys on it. Yeah. How do you prepare for an opponent when you could have all five of them available, all five could be out? Prepare like everybody else is playing. Like everybody's, because we watched them on Trent Brown, also about Trent Brown. But we watched them on everybody, make sure you know we're ready at all times so we can't be caught off guard, so. I know this is more of an offense question on the road, but Patriots fans are pretty, you know, they're pretty loud most times. What's what's the challenge of playing in that building? I mean, they can't really get loud when we're out exactly. there. But, uh, but, I don't know, it's always a challenge, you know, you know Patriots, you know, they dynasty, you know, uh, their fans, they're diehard fans too. But I'm sure our fans going to be there, you know, getting loud, just like they were in Cali. I was going to say, it showed up pretty well in Cali, right? Was yeah. it, you think, more Dolphins fans there than well, oh, for sure. Yeah. It got to a point in the game. I was like, man, what? what? I know. Well, yeah, what stadium are we playing in? You know, I thought it was a Dolphin stadium, but yeah, it was nice to have our fans out there. Though. When they threw that grounding flag at the end on the broadcast, like, it erupted. Yeah. Like, the place erupted. Like, yeah, I was like, damn, was that a good call for the Chargers? But no, it was for the Dolphins. Yeah, so it's like, it's crazy because, you know, we had a different environment but still had our fans travel with us so that's awesome what's the message this week after a showing that you guys probably would like to get corrected and get you know approved for next week what's the message from the coaching staff to you guys stop the run be more stopped on defense last week wasn't us we gotta do a better job this week so. you feel like you can contribute more in the running game than almost oh, definitely something? when i get out there i'll do my thing so appreciate it appreciate you and away he goes let's go ahead and spin to friday and mike mcdaniel who spoke to the media 
and he gave us some updates on injuries and potential playing time for Sunday. If you want to see the full injury report, I'll have it up on my Twitter timeline the moment it comes out. I want to push this podcast out to y'all first. I don't think it's impertinent to put it in the podcast because by the time you guys hear this part of the show, you've probably already seen the injury report. So we're always going to have it on my Twitter timeline. Let's go ahead and get back to Coach here, who was asked about the Patriots game plan. If you expect them to adjust to what you do offensively, do you expect them to do what they do best regardless? Here's Coach on just that. Generally, um, in the game of football, and it goes on both sides of the ball, is uh, the you have you're always given the opportunity to correct and or improve um, in a phase of the game because uh, what what happens is if you get as an offense, if you get beat on a blitz, you're probably going to see the same blitz again. Coaches get paid um, to assess the tape, and when you're vulnerable, you kind of have to stop the blitz um, before you stop seeing it. Same thing ha- uh, is the case for defense. Um, if, if a team has success running the ball, turn the page the next week, um, you know, the next team will, will have – high intent so uh to to replicate the same thing so there's no hiding in in the national football league um and it's kind of a cool thing you know it's what i told the team is like it's uh it's weird because you have so so much build up for game one so much build up i mean we're talking about it endlessly and really realistically players at after the loss of against buffalo in the playoffs we're talking to me about this season so they're talking about week one and then in the, in the game of football, you have a game, all that buildup, and it's one game that stands alone and is the identity of everyone for an entire week. And so we're all talking about what we just built up for, you know, um, that. And then you go to another week. That's another story. Well, in that every single opportunity you're on the field, you have the opportunity to define who you are and what and you know, if if you don't fancy yourself as a um, poor run defense, then, you know, if you don't fancy yourself as uh, if, if your team wants to run the ball more or you want to run the ball better, then run the ball better. You have an opportunity the next week. Um, it's the beauty of this game. And um, there's people you, you have to you have to stop people from doing something or they'll continue to do it. Let's do just one more here from Coach. He was asked about guarding against the hype the Dolphins have received as a team and their quarterback in the MVP discussions already through week one. He was asked if he feels the need to address that this year versus last year. I found this to be really interesting here from Mike McDaniel and how the team has changed from a year ago. You know, it's an interesting point. Last year, I I definitely felt the urge to, um, you know, I think we've spent so much time, you know, I try to get proactive with it and tell people as much as I can what will happen so that when it happens, um, it's, you don't look into it too much. You know, I think uh, I, I haven't felt that need with this team just because I honestly feel like they understand um, one win, a one win team um, is not a very good team. There's a lot more 
you have to win a lot of games, and that's that, that's hard in the NFL. So uh, I, I do think, um, you know, last year uh, was a big, big help in that, being able to, you know, experience what happens when you have any sort of win streak um, and how people uh, are making – I mean, there's just so much conversation – about things that are impossible per, to predict because one player changes the complexion of every team. You know, one, one. I mean, and, and it's all about continuing to develop and to grow and um, getting too excited about one win is, and what people are saying about you, um, is setting yourself up for, for supreme failure because um, I don't, I don't think that anyone will be surprised when, you know, whenever the – you can't be surprised what, what happens um, literally with, it, with every team. If you do well for that week, you'll, you'll be considered something worth keeping your job for. And then you don't, and then it's up in the air. But that's the way uh, – it's it's kind of the black and white um, part of the game that I really enjoy, just because you have to be kind of tough-minded in both avenues, and n- whether you're getting praised or you're getting harassed, literally it doesn't matter for the next game. That fans are paying to see that um, is one of the finite amount of games that they're that each and every player and coach is able to be in because they're, they're nothing is, uh, nothing is forever. So, um, that's the, that's the biggest thing with them or it's, it's been kind of cool cause I haven't had to feel that. I haven't felt that need. I think they understand that we're way early in the journey. Let's go ahead and finish up this week of podcast with a look at the college game. Kyle Krabs joins us to break down what you can, can expect to see this weekend in college football. For the second straight week, and we're going to do this every single week here on every Friday podcast to get you guys caught up, not just around the National Football League, but what's going on in the college landscape to get us prepared all year long for April and the NFL draft because the draft season never sleeps. He is Kyle Krabs, Locked On Dolphins and Locked On NFL Scouting with the great Joe Marino. They do a great job giving you guys all kinds of content on the NFL draft every single year. Kyle, how are we doing? How are we feeling after week one? Uh, it's good to be back in the swing of things. I don't know about you get a chance to kind of process these games and then you get into your own respective game flow, just like the team does getting ready for the next team on the schedule. And then having the college layer on top of it is just, it's a blast, man. I'm doing great. Yeah. Getting back into the swing of it. I I agree big time. I actually, you know, the first week, like even for me as a podcaster is kind of like a feeling out process in terms of how the content's going to go. And I actually kind of messed up on my all 22 podcast and got way too excited and did way too many notes and broke down way too many Mm. plays. And by the end of it it was like a 45 minute show and it was way too, uh, the third quarter, 623 to play. Here's a play. And I'm just like, (laughs) you got to reel it back a little bit, man, but we're excited about being one and oh, and I know you're excited about that and the college football weekend ahead. I want to go ahead and start here with kind of the same thing I asked you last week, and we'll do this every single week here, is some under-the-radar guys that you think could potentially, in 2024, long way out, potentially be fits for what this Dolphins offense or defense wants to do in the future. Who are some guys you're watching for Dolphins-specific scouting this weekend? 
Yeah, I I got two names. Uh, I got an offensive lineman, and I've got a tight end. Uh, the the tight end is very much under the radar, uh, but has been a player who every time I've watched this team over the last couple of years when he's been healthy has really popped. His name's Isaac Rex, and he plays for BYU, and he is playing BYU is playing Arkansas this weekend. So a really good opportunity to see uh, Mountain. I think well, this heart can't keep track of these conferences anymore. I think I they're know. still in Mountain <laughs> West this year, but going to Big Twelve. Uh, playing against an SEC program, so that'll be a good spotlight for him. Uh, I think he's got a pretty well-rounded skill set. And then the offensive lineman is a guy who's probably in a lot of first-round mocks, but I only recently got around to doing the deep dive on his tape, and it's Graham Barton uh, from Duke. He plays tackle for them. His freshman season, he played center. So you hear positional versatility and how the Dolphins like having the ability to have guys be cross-trained at certain spots just to be able to have the best combination of five guys. Uh, he's built like a tackle, but he moves like a center. So there's there's really intriguing elements there for Barton. I, I think he's probably somebody in the right system, zone system, that could feasibly play all five spots on the offensive line. Almost so kind of reminds me of like, Northwestern. A, of like a Joel Tipman from last year, at least in terms of the athletic ability and that, that length he had on the inside. Um, there was, and, and just speaking of that real quick, like you talk about those positions and uh, for the Dolphins, all of a sudden, like you look at the offensive line, all of a sudden, you know, Rob Jones and Teron Arms are two players that, you know, Teron's an, a potential Hall of Famer at some point in his career. And Rob Jones, a guy that you and I both feel pretty good about, not mm-hmm. even available to the Dolphins. And all of a sudden their offensive line with two key guys not available is playing pretty well. So depth for this Dolphins front looking definitely sharp right now, but I definitely want to keep an eye on the offensive line every single year because every team could draft O-line every year. And There's by the no way, there's such a great thing as too many good offensive never. linemen on a roster. There's several positions you can say that about, but I think offensive line might be V1 at this point with how the kind of talent disparity is in the NFL. Yes. By the way, there's a great clip of the BYU kids not knowing where Arkansas is on a map. If you haven't had a chance to go check that out, uh, pretty funny ahead of this weekend's matchup against the Razorbacks. Kyle, am I right here? There's no games among two ranked teams this weekend? Uh, as far as I am aware, that is a correct and factual statement to make on drive time. Yes. Well, that's lame. But anyway, I was going to ask you who you're going to be watching in the big games, then give us the off the radar game. But I think I'll do it this way. Let's just get some top prospects here that have challenging prove it type of matchups this week in terms of NFL prospect versus potential NFL prospect. Yeah. So, um, there's a, an, another tight end that I have written down here who I think has the potential based off his athletic profile and stature to push pretty high up uh, and he's going against UNC and that's Minnesota's Brevin span for this is like a six, seven two sixty tight end with some really nice athleticism uh, interested to see him uh, in a spotlight against a UNC team that has a lot of offensive firepower. You may end up needing to get into a shootout uh, if you're Minnesota. So span I think is a guy who has a really big opportunity. And the other one is maybe not necessarily super dolphins relevant, but uh, number 11, Tennessee is at Florida and Joe Milton at the quarterback position, former Michigan Wolverines guy, uh, big time tools like hand cannon for an arm, yes, man. ridiculous yes, ability man. to throw the ball. Uh, but the consistency with offensive execution and pre-snap process and decision-making post, like all of that is uh, kind of to be determined in Tennessee's offense. Obviously you saw what it did last year for Hennon Hooker, who, kind of had some of the same questions before playing full-time as a starter last year. So I'll be watching him, Joe Milton against university of Florida as kind of the hallmark power programs clashing against each other with, I think the prospect who has the most approved. 
You just got that in in five minutes and one second. So five, Finn's draft in 501, we're going to call it on this okay. week I'll two edition right here. But I am going to stop the clock right there because, first of all, great stuff. And Joe Milton reminds me of, like, scouts dream coaches maybe not so much because there's so much you kind of have to rein in and, and kind of, you know, mold that ball of clay as it were. I love those kind of prospects because you can kind of see how they grow over time if it works or if it doesn't work for them in terms of the the pro skills clicking. Kyle, big matchup Sunday night football here. Just real quick thoughts on Dolphins and Patriots. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting for Miami's defense to have a bounce back opportunity. Obviously the discussion point all week was the rushing defense, but uh, you know, Philadelphia Eagles was the team that the Patriots played last week, and the defense coordinator is, is Sean Desai, who's worked in the past with Vic Fangio. There's some parallels in how they play defense, and uh, Philadelphia had a good amount of success in the trenches, and that's where my eyes will be, obviously, with the talent that the Dolphins have, and and see Vic Fangio said, you know, he took his level of responsibility this week for getting them ready to play versus not getting them ready to play. I'm really interested to see how ready to play this defensive line is going to be this week. And against a Patriots offensive line that might be banged up coming into this one, Dolphins and Patriots, 8-20 on Sunday night from Foxborough. Kyle, Finn's draft in five. Appreciate your time, man. Locked on Dolphins and locked on NFL scouting. We'll see you soon, my friend. Thanks, Travis. And there he goes, and there we go for our Friday show for week number two. Hope you all enjoyed the week of coverage. We'll be back with you guys on Monday morning for the recap from Dolphins at Patriots. Until then, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out Seth and Juice on the Fish Tank Podcast. Check out our YouTube channel for the McBreakdown. Dolphins Today, media availabilities, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline Cameron, Daddy, is coming home.